0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: He's got a piece out at Sports Illustrated right now, headlined Smooth Jazz. He is our good friend, Chris Mannix. Chris, how are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, loved this story. It was, it was great. Can't encourage our listeners enough to, uh, to jump online and to uh, read it. And we're excited to dive into it with you. But let me start by asking this. Uh, was this a fun story for you to write? Uh, because it seems to us, from being here in the middle of it, the jazz have been a, a fascinating story over the last two years.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. It was a fun concept. Uh, I would have liked it a lot more if I had been able to fly to Utah, spend the week there, sit down face-to-face with Mitchell, with Gobert, with the other guys I talked to, and not, you know, beg Derek from the Jazz to get guys on Zoom for me over the course of uh, several months. But that's just the world uh, that we live in. The Jazz were extremely helpful with with reporting out this story. But, I mean, it it really is – One of the more remarkable tales of this season, how a Utah team that was effectively broken in March of 2020 is now going into the playoffs, the number one seed in the West, with the best record in basketball. I mean, that is a journey. And one I think a lot of players, coaches, staffers get a lot of credit for. And I just wanted to kind of explore that a little bit and see if there was anything new that – I didn't know about uh, from reading other, you know, excellent stories by other writers that are out there um, that I could learn along the way.
2: So Chris, uh, you wrote a lot about Donovan Mitchell uh, and there's some really interesting stuff in here about him. What stood out the most to you?
0: Well, I mean, a lot of it is how committed he was to studying himself during the pandemic. And, you know, guys were limited with what they could do, you know, during the months of March, April and May before they could get back into team facilities and at least start to work out again. Um I know some guys, you know, just kind of took that time off and unplugged and didn't do much of anything. Uh, Donovan Mitchell didn't do that. I mean, he he clearly threw himself into, you know, self-reflection, study and and trying to find ways to make his game better by watching tapes of himself and you know, look, not the good ones. He told me specifically. He's like, I didn't watch any good ones. He watched all the bad games or the bad plays or the bad sequence. Just sitting at his house in uh, suburban Connecticut, just locked in and watching as much as possible. And I think, I think that has helped him this year. It's helped him learn how to get to his spots a little bit better. It's helped him probably learn, you know, the system and his teammates a little bit more. Um, there's only so much you can do, obviously, you know, during those pandemic months. But I think Donovan Mitchell, as much as anyone in the league, took advantage of them.
1: Uh, I learned uh, a bunch of stuff reading this uh, this article today, Chris. But I want to read uh, one part of it that uh, that I didn't know that I think it was incredibly. Uh Kind of impactful, and I'll just read from it here. It says uh, you're talking about Rudy Gobert is back to peak form. Some of Jazz's defensive slips last season can be attributed to Gobert's tamping down his aggressiveness, fearful of foul trouble. Without experienced depth behind him, after the season, he asked management to bring back Derek Favors, whom the Jazz had traded a year earlier. They did, signing the six-nine veteran to a three-year, twenty-seven million dollar contract. With Favors backing him up, Gobert is soon likely to become a three-time Defensive Player of the Year, blocking shots at a career. Your best rate. I find it fascinating that Rudy was aware enough to bring back a player so he could be the player he wanted to be and not be timid and play his game. I thought that was I thought that was really incredible from your story today.
0: Yeah, I, I found that that anecdote interesting too. Um, it should it's worth noting that you know, jazz management did confirm that Rudy did this, uh, but insisted that they were going to do it anyway so they were you know i don't think it was exactly like rudy convinced them necessarily that this was the right move but it was clear from last season that you know rudy needed to trust who was playing behind him to play at max aggressiveness i mean rudy last year was still one of the top defensive players in basketball every time he steps on the floor he's going to be one of the top defensive players in basketball but you know people within the organization and really across the league thought he took a little bit of a step back that he wasn't the same player he had been in his defensive player of the year seasons and from asking around you know a lot of that you know could be attributed to the fact that he was more tentative you know believing that if he got into foul trouble the jazz defense would really suffer because he'd be off the floor and there wasn't that experienced guy behind him the relationship as you guys know with Gobert and And Favors goes way back, years. There's such a familiarity there between those two. So with Favors back in the mix, I think we've seen the old, aggressive Rudy Gobert just not fearful of getting into foul trouble, not fearful of making mistakes, knowing that if he does have to come out of the game, there's a guy he trusts right behind him. So I I think that's a a wrinkle to this Jazz defense this year that uh, has been a little bit understated throughout. So,
2: Chris, uh, everybody around here knows that uh, the Jazz were up 3-1 on the Nuggets last year, and they lost that thing. And uh, you bring up the point that uh, the Jazz consider that uh, bubble experience a success. Could you elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I mean, conventional wisdom suggests that you blow a 3-1 series lead, your confidence takes a hit. You know, everyone I talked to, I talked to probably half the members of that team, they all, to a man, said that only made them believe in themselves more. And it wasn't how the series played out that did that. It was just that they lost the series, and then they watched what Denver was able to go on and do, beat the Clippers, get to the conference finals, and then look at their own team and say, we lost like we were a Mike Conley miss away from beating Denver. That could have been us. And it could have been us without Boyan Bogdanovich, who, as we've seen, an elite offensive player, and with Mike Conley, not the player they knew he was going to be in year two with this team, having missed, what, one or two games of that, uh, that first-round series. So, yeah, I, I think that you know, the, the fact that they were able to play the way they played, not at full strength, gave them a confidence going into uh, the season that at full strength they could beat anybody. So, in a weird way, a devastating first-round loss that – under normal circumstances, would be embarrassing and cause self-doubt. Actually, did the exact opposite, and it, it gave them a, a confidence that is carried over into this year.
1: You mentioned how the Jazz also, Chris, uh, have changed the way that they've played from shooting earlier in the shot clock to uh, to transition to, uh, I thought, Donovan Mitchell's comments on uh, they're never upset with a three-point shot ever. It's kind of a <laughs> philosophy on the team. I guess my question to you is, what is the likelihood that that philosophy, philosophy stands up to the scrutiny of playoff basketball?
0: I mean, it's worked before. I mean, the Warriors were a running gun three-point shooting team. The Rockets have been a running gun three-point shooting team, so... You know, shooting a high volume of threes is not uh, going to hurt you. What hurts you is if you start missing them at a higher rate you did during the, in the regular season. That's why you know guys like Ingles and Mitchell and, and all the guys that have been jacking up threes at a high rate, um, you know, they're going to have to shoot similar percentages for this Jazz team to to be successful. So I think philosophically, it's not a problem in the playoffs. I mean, we've we've come to the point where. I mean, we're at the point where I think the NBA is getting a little tired of the amount of threes, that that you might see them try to do some things to legislate all these threes out of the game in years to come. But for right now, it's a winning strategy. It's a winning philosophy that, that Utah absolutely can win, you know, at a high level doing it. All these things
2: that you bring up in your story, Chris, uh, are kind of unique. At least you you are familiar with all the teams in the league of everything that you compiled here, what do you think stands out the most? What makes the Jazz uh, unique in, in the most dramatic way?
0: You know, I don't know about – there's so many little things, little wrinkles. My biggest takeaway from writing that story, though, was you know just how necessary the bubble experience was. And this has been talked about uh, previously on some level, but it, it just – the therapeutic nature of the bubble – was just such a necessary thing for this Utah team. Obviously, there had been conversations between Donovan and Rudy before the bubble, but getting there, the more people I talked to in and around the organization, they just talked about kind of the nights at the bar or the days by the pool or the team activities that they had where they're just able to reconnect as a group, little things that would go completely unnoticed on a normal team or in normal circumstances, it was just all part of the healing process, you know, for the Jazz because Rudy needed to reconnect with his teammates, his teammates with him. There needed to be more fences met, mended between Donovan and Rudy. You know, it, it's to the point where, guys, if if the NBA had scrapped the season and said, you know what, forget it, we're not going to do the bubble, we're going to start next year, I, I think the Jazz might have been in some trouble because I, I don't think you could go into a training camp and have it come together in the same way it came together, being isolated. And and Rudy even said this, like, you know, you're. We're here. We're by ourselves without our families. You either come together or you fall apart or something like that. Um, And they came together, you know, because of that bubble. So maybe maybe as as much as any team in the league, probably more than any team in the league, uh, they needed, you know, that, you know, 50 plus days, whatever it was that they were down in the bubble.
1: Chris, you were there in the bubble. We remember talking to you. It was actually yeah. it was great. We got uh, weekly updates from that very unique <laughs> situation in life. You know, we may never see again. Uh, but you mentioned the effect that it had on the Jazz. Did it have the opposite effect on other franchises, where maybe it wasn't a positive experience?
0: Uh I don't know that it had a negative effect on anybody. I think some teams didn't thrive as much as others, and that's largely to do with maybe a mental toughness of those teams. Like the Lakers won a championship and talent is the biggest reason why, but the mental toughness of LeBron and Anthony Davis and Rondo back then, that that was a big overriding factor. Teams that weren't as mentally tough didn't necessarily play as well down there. So I don't think there was any lasting negative effects, you know, from the bubble on any team that's carried over into this season. And really, I'm not sure there's, a positive effect outside of Utah. I think the Jazz just benefited, you know, in such a unique way that it, it was an overwhelmingly positive experience. How much credit
2: should Quinn Snyder get for fashioning this whole thing together? Obviously, it's a players league to some extent. What about the coach?
0: A- an enormous amount of credit. And I, and I was texting with somebody in the league office today that there needs to be a an award created for what Quinn Snyder's done over the last 13 months. I'll be honest with you guys, I, I didn't vote for him for Coach of the Year. He was runner-up uh, on my ballot. I gave it to Tom Thibodeau. I mean, the Knicks, I, they just came out of nowhere. And, and to be a top five team in the East, I, I just, I couldn't, I mean, I, I expected them to be awful. And they turned out to be a really good team. And Tibbs is probably the biggest reason why. But Quinn's accomplishments this year, you know, just date back further than december it's it's march april and may when he was formulating a plan to bring this group together it's the summer months when he played a huge role when he went to dennis lindsey and said my biggest goal is to reconnect this team in the bubble he did that to changing the offensive system in the off season or in the in, in the bubble really doing it on the fly uh that became their philosophy uh this season i mean he's just done a a absurd job over the last 13 months a job that I'm not so sure any other coach could have done. Like, you know, what he did, you know, stands alone in terms of accomplishments. If not for what what Tibbs did with the Knicks, again, which is just ridiculous what he's been able to do. Um, You know, Quinn would have been a runaway uh, winner on my ballot, even ahead of Monty Williams. I think Quinn's job, the job he did this year, uh, you know, in the Western Conference stood alone.
1: You mentioned uh, your Coach of the Year ballot. Do you want to clue us in on uh, the other awards you voted for, specifically Defensive Player of the Year and uh, Sixth Man of the Year?
0: Yeah, Gobert was my defensive player of the year. um, As we talked about, I think he got right back on track to the player that he was. It really came down to Gobert and Ben Simmons. And, look, I I don't mind the vote either way. They both do very different things defensively. But, you know, I I always come back to the fact that Gobert is just, as somebody, people in the Jazz organization tell me often, is a walking top five, top ten defense. And that's just rare. You can stick him into a team with anybody, and he, he turned that team into an elite uh, elite defensive team. Uh, I gave Jordan Clarkson the six-man vote. And really it was Jordan and Joe Ingles, those are the two guys that it came down to at uh, the top of my ballot. And I just leaned towards Jordan because it was so close, but Jordan was a sixth man throughout, whereas Joe bounced in and out of the starting lineup. Yes, I know he was eligible for sixth six-man, but I looked at Jordan Clarkson as being a true sixth man And while he has scuffled you know, down the stretch and not been the player he was in the first half of the season, to me, he did enough to to win the six man award. So, where do the Jazz go
2: from here, uh, Chris? Do do they really have a chance at that, as uh, as Donovan calls it, the ship? The do, the do, does he is this realistic, or do you think it's more of a pipe dream?
0: Well, I'd say this: you're actively rooting for the Lakers on Wednesday. Like you just don't want to see them in the first round. Like the potential that that could be just a disaster um, if that were to happen in a, in a one eight matchup. Um, so uh, you know, beyond that, uh, I think they can beat anybody. You know, and look, if the Lakers they have to face them in the conference finals, you know that's a different story altogether. Right now, with Donovan just coming off the injury and a major playoff matchup right out of the gates, I don't think you want to see LeBron and Anthony Davis at close to full strength at that point. That's just that's just asking for trouble there. So you're rooting pretty hard for the Lakers uh, over the Warriors. But I, look, I don't I don't look at any team you know being invincible in these Western Conference playoffs. I mean, everybody keeps talking about the Clippers. Okay, well, let's see what happens when they get punched in the mouth by Dallas in this first-round series. How do they respond to it? I think the Mavericks can win this series, quite frankly, uh, against the Clippers. The Suns are untested. The Nuggets are all banged up. The Blazers don't play any defense. Like, I mean, there's there's flaws with everybody. Um, obviously, the Lakers are kind of the elephant in the room if they pick up some momentum over the first couple of rounds. But um, if the... You know, if the, if the Jazz can avoid them for as long as possible and then want to face them in a later round, I mean, that's I don't think that's a series they're destined to lose. I think they've got more than a puncher's chance to win a series like that. So I think it's going to be real competitive in these Western Conference playoffs.
1: All right. If you're a Jazz fan out there, you want to check out Chris's latest. It's really good. Headline Smooth Jazz up at SI.com. He is our good friend, Chris Mannix. Chris, thank you as always. And uh, again, great work. You got it, guys. He, uh, you know, this fairly long piece, Gordon, he, he really gets into some of the detail. He talks about a, a specific um, uh, rendezvous with the team at, uh, at a bar at the hotel when they first got into the bubble in Orlando. And, uh, you know, he he talked to Dennis Lindsay and he talked to the front office and and Joe Ingles. They were all really confident that if they could just get Donovan and Rudy together in the same room talking (laughs) more complicated last year than ever. And, you know, (laughs) uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But once they and he, he just talked about one specific instance, it sounds like there were several, but. You know, where they got together and they just shot the breeze and reminded each other they're humans and all have the same ideals and are all pulling in the same direction. And there's a really human element to this story that I think we were all really wanting to be told throughout all of that because we've all been there, right? Where we've been grumpy with a family member or a coworker or, or stuff happens and you've got to value relationships and priorities and those sorts of very adult things. Everyone can relate to being grumpy with a coworker. Yeah, tell me about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and yet we love each other. Yeah. So I guess uh, part of that human thing is, uh, for me, was what uh, Chris stressed with, with Donovan Mitchell. This determination, I guess, is the word. How determined he is to, to improve himself and to make the most of himself and to make the most of the jazz. Uh, you know, that that quote, the quote, this is Donovan, this is uncharted territory for me. I'm honest about that, but the goal is to win the ship. We're not stopping until we do. I mean, you do hear guys say that sort of thing every once in a while, but when Donovan says it, you really believe that he believes that they can do it, that it's within their grasp, and that
1: he's going to do everything he can to to extend that reach. Well, certainly it's not going to be for lack of effort yeah and and hard work, and you know there's part in the story, and Chris alluded to it where he watched all his bad games yeah. over and over and over again and and deciding what to work on, and you know it's really been true about him since the moment he got into the league. I mean, I remember a, a Quinn Snyder interview long ago when he was a rookie where, where Quinn Snyder talked about and kind of tongue-in-cheek running out of stuff, assignments to give Donovan because the stuff he says to improve on, Donovan will work and work and work and work and then come back and say, hey, coach, what's next? I mean, it's kind of been his his drive all the way through, and we shouldn't be surprised that he's turning into the player that he's turning into.
2: As the, the irony to this whole thing, Jake, is the more he works and the better the Jazz get the more pressure is on him. Yeah. (laughs) Because now the expectation is, is a soft expectation, maybe nationally, but the expectation here amongst the fans here and the expectation within the team is that championship of which he was speaking. And so in a playoff setting, we'll see how that goes. I mean, the Jazz in the regular season, the best team in the West. In the league, really. Yeah. So so now can you go forward and, and uh, hit the hammer right on top of the nail to establish that point once and for all? It seems as though some people are looking at the Jazz thinking, yeah, they can do it. Others are looking at the Jazz thinking, no, they can't do it. And others are looking at the Jazz
1: thinking, prove it. All right, we'll have more coming up. Stay tuned. It's the big show 97.5 and 1280 of the zone.